If you would, please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, we are in a sermon series on this chapter, the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus. And we're working our way verse by verse, portion by portion through what Jesus says before the Father. And as you're turning there, as you're finding your way there in John chapter 17, I don't know that the CDC has said that we could hug people yet. But if you want to give a six-foot virtual hug to the Sneeds, they're back today. And we got to praise God for your 70 years of marriage this past week. So we're so glad to see you and see many of you back with us. John chapter 17, these are some of the last words of Jesus. Uh, he is on the precipice of going to the cross and here in just a few weeks, we will remember that, we will, we will celebrate that, we will rejoice in what God has done for us in sending His one and only Son. But here we see He, he prays for us, He goes before the Father for us, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 this morning. This is God's holy and errant and authoritative word to us. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Pray with me. Holy Father, again, in your amazing kindness, you have allowed us to read and understand and study this prayer of our Lord Jesus. And so we pray and pray again that you would help us to learn from it, grow from it, and be drawn more and more into the heart of Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Christian life is one that can be characterized by one word, and I think that word is joy. The Christian life can be characterized by joy. The Christian life is not about worldly happiness. The Christian life is not about getting more stuff. The Christian life is not about never having problems again. No, the Christian life is about joy, and joy in the Lord. Having joy is not just about being happy all the time. Uh, biblical joy is more than just having a cheerful spirit, although it can involve that. We'll learn more about what this sense of joy means, but for now, let's see here from, from Jesus' prayer what he means when he speaks of this true, biblical, and meaningful joy that cannot be found in this world. It is not of this world. As a matter of fact, the scriptures teach us over and over and over that if you are looking for joy, if you are looking meaning, for meaning from this world, it will not give you joy. It will give you, in fact, misery. The joy that is to characterize the Christian life, 
that Jesus again speaks of here is for one reason and one reason only. And that is the joy of our salvation. The joy that we have because of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Though you not, have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The Apostle Peter here describes this joy as inexpressible. It's, it's a joy that is, 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 we can't fully comprehend. We can't fully express it with, with words because it's, it's so wonderful. It's, it's so heavenly. It's a joy that is so awesome, so glorious, so rich that it simply cannot be described with words. In a sense, it can only be experienced And it's experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, Jesus desires that you and I would be filled with his joy. He prays that his joy would be fulfilled in us. This joy that Jesus prays would be fulfilled in us, again, it's not a joy from this world. You will never find deep and meaningful and abiding joy in this world, in this life. Sure, you can find happiness in this life. You can find satisfaction in this world. But you cannot find the joy that Jesus speaks of here from this world. You're never going to find joy in a boyfriend or girlfriend. You're not going to find it in a new car. You're not going to find it in a new toy. You're not going to find it in the latest iPhone. You are definitely not going to find it on social media or Instagram. You're not going to find it in politics. You're not going to find it in straight A's. Not that I would know. And you're not going to find it in the things of this world. Because Christ is not of this world. And Christians are not of this world. And so Jesus here speaks to us of a joy that is not of this world. So what does Jesus tell us about this joy that he prays would be fulfilled in us? That's what he prays before the Father. He petitions before the Father in verse 13. That soon he is going to ascend to the Heavenly Father. And these things that he is speaking to us, that he is preaching to us, he says... He desires that his joy would be fulfilled in his disciples. And so what should we know about this joy first? It is his joy. It is the joy of the Lord. It is Jesus' joy. It's not our joy. It's not a, a joy that you find from within yourself. It's not a joy of this world. It's a joy from without it's a joy not of this world. It's, it's, it's a holy joy. It's not a, it's not a charismatic, wild, and uncontrolled joy. It's, it's a serious joy. It's a, it's a meaningful joy. It's a joy in the Lord. 
a joy from the Lord, a joy through the Lord. Perhaps Solomon illustrated this very well for us in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is considered a wisdom book, and so it contains biblical wisdom for us. So Solomon, perhaps the richest man who ever lived, and and perhaps one of the wisest men who ever lived, he describes this joy that is not of this world over and over. In, in, the, in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, he starts to describe how he sought for joy and pleasure in this world, but found that it was not there. He says over and over and over again, right? It's all vanity. It's pointless. Hear what he said in chapter 2. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, he says, this was also vanity. Solomon recounts over and over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes with all of his wealth that he never founded in this world. And he sprinkles in this truth of where real joy has found. He preaches that joy was found only in the Lord, only in God. He says in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And so the testimony that that Solomon walks through in the book of Ecclesiastes is, is that only in God can a joy be found that will occupy our hearts. It's a joy not of this world. These words in which Jesus spoke here in this prayer, in the presence of his disciples, it's yet another testimony of his goodness and his grace to us. Again, think about it. Think about what we get to see here, what we get to witness here, what we get to, what we get to rejoice in. Jesus has said and he has prayed many wonderful things about us here in this high priestly prayer, but none greater than petitioning before the Father that we would have joy. Did you get that? If you get nothing else this morning, get this. Jesus prays that you would have joy. Isn't that awesome? When was the last time you you prayed that for someone? I've probably prayed for your hurt ankle or your sick aunt. I'm not sure the last time I've prayed for your joy. Jesus prays for our joy. He says, Father, fill them with my joy. I want my disciples, my followers, my sheep to have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And so this is an amazing petition that we get to think about this morning. Let's think very carefully about it. Jesus prays that our hearts would be filled with his joy. Jesus loves you that much. He has that much concern for his loved ones that he wants you to know his joy. What is this joy that that Jesus prays would be fulfilled in the hearts of his followers? J.C. Ryle gives a wonderful definition. He says, it must mean that 
peculiar inward sense of comfort that Christ imparts to believers in which no one knows except the one who receives it. In other words, this joy is for those who know Christ and love Christ, and it's so wonderful you don't even know it until you have it. It's so good you don't even know it until you experience it. So we must know this joy and pursue this joy. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it is our duty. It is our duty as Christians to have this joy, to be filled with it, and we must give ourselves neither rest nor peace until we have it that we pursue this joy with all of our hearts. So may God give us grace as we make it our life's work to pursue this joy. And so as we look at these verses, verses 13 through 16, the chief purpose of this portion of Jesus' prayer was so that his disciples, so that we would be encouraged and comforted to know his joy, and so that his joy would abound in our hearts. He wanted his joy to abound in our hearts. And so I want you to see this morning that those in Christ have a joy not of this world. We have a joy not of this world. It's because of three things that we'll see in these verses. First, Jesus has given us the word of the Father. Second, Jesus is not of the world. And third, Jesus has given us a new citizenship. So let's look first that we have a joy not of this world because Jesus has given us the word of the Father. He says there in verse 14, I have given them your word. Jesus prays before the Father that he and testifies that he has given the disciples the word of the Father. Over and over and over, Jesus says in the Gospels that he that what he taught, what he said, it was from the Father. He came to do the Father's will, to proclaim the word of the Lord to God's people. What is this word? Well, next week we'll learn in verse 17 that it's the word of truth, the very word of God. Jesus has given his disciples the word of the gospel, the good news of great joy. Jesus has given that to us. So perhaps this is a good point for us to stop and reflect and remember what a joy it is that we have the Holy Scriptures, that we have the Word of God written down for us so that we can read of this joy, study this joy, absorb this joy, meditate on this joy. If I were to tell you Right after this service, if you go down into my office and search through my library, I've got, I think, a few thousand books, and there's a single line in one of those books that will reveal a clue to a hidden treasure, <laughs> what would you do? I don't know what book it was in, so you'd have to scour through and study every book and every line in order to find this treasure. Would you, would you do it? In a sense, it's the same with, the, with our Bibles. Every word, every line contains joy and treasure, and it is our duty to mine for this joy every day because Jesus has given us the word of the Father so that we may know his joy. Isn't that amazing? 
Secondly, we have a, a joy that is not of this world because Jesus is not of this world. Our Savior is not of this world. In this falling world, those who follow Christ will experience opposition. And we should, in fact, expect it. Did you see there in verse 14 when he says, I've given them, given them your word and the world has hated them, hated them because they are not of this world. Jesus has given us his word and the world hates that we have the truth. I hate to put it that blunt, bluntly, but that's the truth. The world hates those who follow Christ and obey his teachings. This is a sad reality even of our culture today to think that in America it could soon be a hate crime to uphold the biblical teachings of things like marriage and gender identity and all of these things. It's, it's scary to think about it, but we should not be surprised. Because Jesus has told us not to be surprised. That they will hate you for obeying his word. If you are a Christian, do not be surprised if you were ever hated. Disciples of Christ have always had to endure hatred. Thousands of years. In a sense, real Christians do and must endure opposition if we are preaching and proclaiming the truth we should expect it jc ryle says the good opinion of the world is about the last thing a true christian should expect or desire if all men speak well of his opinions and ways of religion he may well doubt whether there is not something very wrong or defective about him furthermore we'll We'll have all kinds of opposition and, and, and evil that we might experience in this fallen world. And because of this, we need protection. And so here again in verse 15, we see the heart of Jesus for us, where he prays for our protection. He prays that we would be kept, that we would be kept and protected from, from evil some translations, your Bible translation may say the evil one, referring to the devil, to Satan himself, but I think certainly it includes the devil and Satan, but I think more accurately it's referring to all kinds of evil, all kinds of opposition, which would include the world and the devil. But again, what an amazing experience of joy for us. This morning to know that Jesus desires that we would be protected from all evil. You remember, we're supposed to pray that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Deliver us from evil. But here, Jesus prays that for you. Lord God, protect them from evil, he prays. He prays that they would be kept in his love and joy. This is... The joy that we experience, not of this world. Thirdly, we have a joy not of this world because Jesus has given us a new citizenship. A new citizenship we've been given. We've 
looked at this several times before already in John chapter 17, but suffice to say again, Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We, we live here. We, God has placed us here. We are to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, but this is not our home. This is not where we find our identity. This is not where we will spend eternity. In other words, our identity, our purpose, our meaning is not to be found in this world. It is to be found in Christ. And so we must not live like the world. We must pursue holy lives and live holy lives in the fear of the Lord, but not to be of the world. We are not of this world, Jesus says over and over. It is repeated in this passage over and over and over. Do you get the point, he is saying? Over and over, we are not of this world. Jesus offers us a joy, a meaning, a purpose that is better than anything this world can offer. And so the challenge for you and for me this morning is how we must examine our hearts and our lives. We must ask, where does my joy come from? Where am I seeking joy? If we continue to talk like the world, dress like the world, listen to music like the world, watch the same things on TV as the world. And as the years pass, our divorce rate becomes just like the world and our children turn out just like children of the world, then we should not be surprised if that is where we are trying to find our joy. But again, Jesus says, and we need to hear it, we are not of this world and so let us beg the Father not to fall into the temptations of the world and, and the false joy that it presents to us, but let us pursue joy in Jesus and the things that He says will satisfy. And so how do you seek this joy? How do you and I seek this joy? How, how do we make it our business to pursue this joy that is not of this world? Well, I find the words of that 20th century hymn by Helen Howarth Limmel to be helpful. You've probably heard it before. It's called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And if I was smart enough, we would have sang it today. <laughs> Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do you do that? How do you turn your eyes upon Jesus? Well, one way you can do that is what we're about to do here momentarily. In the Lord's Supper. That's why he gave it to us. That's exactly why he gave it to us. So that we would see and remember and profess who he is and what he has done. And when we remember that, when we rejoice in that amazing grace, we are filled with an inexpressible joy, a joy that makes the things of this world, a joy that makes our troubles, our heartaches, our worries, they, they tend to grow strangely dim, don't they, when they, we think about what Jesus has done for us.
these things of the world, they grow strangely dim because the light of Jesus' glory and grace shines through as we taste and see that He is good. Right after this wonderful high priestly prayer of Jesus here in John chapter 17, he, Jesus is going to go face the shame and the agony of the cross. Think about that. Just hours after this, he, he's going to the cross. But what was on his mind at this point? What was on his mind? Isn't it remarkable to think that what was first and foremost on his mind was that his disciples would be filled with joy? That they would be filled with joy. Is that not amazing love? Jesus wants you to have his joy. Praise God for this. Let's pray. Holy Father, fill us with your joy. Help us to see that joy is not to be found in this world. Forgive us where we have sought meaning and purpose and joy in the things of this world. Help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look full in his wonderful face. So that the things of this world will grow strangely dim and he will become greater and greater in our lives. We pray this in his name. Amen.